Welcome to the Odyssey Podcasts. This is Jean Cavellos, Director of Odyssey. Odyssey is an intensive six-week workshop for writers of fantasy, science fiction, and horror whose work is approaching publication quality and for published writers who want to improve their work. Odyssey is held each summer on the campus of St. Anselm College in Manchester, New Hampshire. Adult writers from all over the world apply. Only 16 are admitted. Top authors, editors, and agents serve as guest lecturers. For more information, visit www.odysseyworkshop.org. Podcast 44 is an excerpt from Laura Ann Gilman's lecture at Odyssey 2010 on Revision. The text of this recording is copyright 2010 by Laura Ann Gilman. The sound recording is copyright 2011 by Odyssey Writing Workshops Charitable Trust. Today I want to talk about revisions. When you're writing, up until the very last moment where it goes past the press, when it gets typeset, it doesn't have to be perfect. By that I mean your sentence structure, your nouns and verbs and adjectives and all of that, it doesn't have to be the most beautifully polished thing to ever come out of anyone's pen. Let go of the goal of the perfect word. Let go of the goal of the perfect sentence. Good, yes. Damn good, yes. Best you can do, absolutely. Let go of the goal of the perfect sentence. Focus on being the best damn storyteller. Focus on becoming the perfect vessel for the story. You can polish your words after the fact, but you've got to get the story down. You have to get the heart of the story down. You have to get the, the blood flow, the sweat, everything about that story that's needed to make it live. That is not perfect words. It is not perfect grammar. It is storytelling. The polishing and the perfecting and, and the making sure you've got the exact perfect word comes after you've got it live on the page. This is not a get-out-of-jail-free pass, though, in terms of paying attention to your writing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying give up the goal of the perfect sentence. Don't sit there and obsess when you're writing. Don't let yourself stop when you're writing. Get it on the page. Because words are in service to story. The story is not the service of words. And it's that simple. However, that does not give you the right to be sloppy. It doesn't give you any excuse to be sloppy. Two of the most commonly heard comments that I write in editorial letters and that I've gotten in editorial letters. One, it may be in your head, but it's not on the page. And two, too much information. I don't need to know all of this. These are things that, even when you've been writing 15, 16, 20 books, people still fall in the trap of. The in your head, not on your page, which is to say you know the story you want to tell. But you know it so well 
that what you think you've put down on the page makes perfect sense to you. But the reader has no clue because they're not in your head. They don't know. I have a tendency to be a little too subtle in a lot of my stories. And my editors, my beta readers have to go, um, that, where'd that come from? Because I know perfectly well, and I think I've layered in enough hints, but I haven't because it's all up here. And part of the problem with living with your story too long is that every single detail is up here in your head. So you really need to think about, have you given your reader enough clues? Have you given them enough context? Have you layered enough of your subtlety so that it sinks through to them? The other thing is too much information. The best example I can give, uh, has anybody here ever read S.M. Sterling, Island in the Sea of Time, the Change series? He writes really wonderful science fiction, um, adventure science fiction. This is sort of time travel. Steve has a tendency to do a lot of research and put it all in the book. I mean, all in the book. He sent me a 400,000 word manuscript. I did not need to know how these people were rebuilding this canon that they needed. I didn't need to know. If, I did not need to know how to do it myself when I was done reading the book. Trying to explain this to Steve was difficult because he loved his details. He thought they added something to the story. They did, about 20 pounds. <laughs> so what I taught him is what I call the iceberg rule, which is to say, you, the writer, know damn well that an iceberg starts way down low below the water surface and goes above the water surface, right? Ever seen the diagrams of an iceberg? All the ship's captain needs to know is that there's something sticking out of the water that's going to hit his ship. It's that simple. They don't need to see the 90% of the iceberg that's under the water. It's enough that they see the bit that's above water because they know what it's going to do, and they know they have to go around it. You don't need to put that 90% of the iceberg on the page. But you also have to be aware of the personality of your story. If you're writing, let's pick uh, Fire Rising Moon, for example, since you guys all read that. There's a story where I gave a lot of information. I did that deliberately. That was the personality of the story. I made a conscious decision when I was writing this story that I was going to make the reader sweat a little. I wanted the reader to think about psychology and madness and the frustration of, of some humans just surrounded by other humans. I did not want them to know whether this was real, whether she was a psychotic or a werewolf or just somebody who was way too tired. But I made a conscious decision when I started that story. This was the personality of the story. This is what I was trying to do. However, if I were writing a different kind of story, if, I were, if I'd written it as a flat-out werewolf story, for example, where I was going to ratchet up the tension, not for the internal character, but for everybody else on the bus, I would have given more information. So you have to know what you want to do with the story. If you were doing a hard science fiction story, obviously you're going to have to put a lot more information on the page, because you need to create the context for the reader. It has to be on the page, it can't be in your brain. At the same time, 
if you are writing, for example, an urban fantasy, you don't need to describe every single detail of what they're doing because your reader already recognizes a lot of that. You need to focus on the stuff that is new, not the stuff that's already established, that's old. And then you have to go over it and think, is there anything? How many of you have read something and completely, completely missed the fact that you misspelled a word or left out a word or forgot a fact? You know why you do that? Because it's already up here. You know what's supposed to be on the page. See, that's why we have proofreaders. It's not because we can't spot typos in somebody else's work. It's that when we look at our own work, we don't see what's actually written. We see what we meant to write. This is why we are all really crappy editors of our own work. So how do you know when something isn't good enough? How do you know when it's not? I actually was talking to um, Kate Elliott, who's a dog writer, many, many fantasies. And you know, the question is, how do you know when you need to rewrite or tear it apart? She says, I feel uncomfortable with it. The rhythm feels wrong when I reread it. And this is why a lot of times they recommend that you read something out loud. Or if you've been reading it on screen, print it out. Change the format, shake things up, look at it differently. Sometimes if I have a short piece, I'll ask somebody else to read it to me. Um, the characters aren't doing what they need to move the plot forward because they're doing something else. Which a lot of times translates to, it sounded really good and it worked really well when I wrote it, but reading it, I realized that they're just kind of marking time or treading water. Or maybe they're doing some off little side thing that flowed really well when I was writing it, but overall doesn't work. That's a warning sign. If you read a scene and you think, well, it's, it's pretty good, but what's it doing? That means it's time to tear it apart and, and either dump it entirely or rework it. No longer matches something that comes later. That happens a lot, especially in a novel. If a conversation isn't layered properly, that is to say, if a conversation starts with one point and sort of meanders and doesn't land where you want it to, that means it needs to be reworked. Whatever the characters are saying to each other, it's not doing the job. And the great thing about fiction, unlike real life, is you can actually go back and revise everything and have it come out properly. Wasted a moment. This is a really big one, and this is something that you need to focus on. If you have a pivot scene in a story, it has got to hit its mark. It's got to be sharp, it's got to be clean, it's got to be effective. If you waste that moment, the entire scene is worthless. When you say pivot scene, uh, what do you... Uh, a pivot scene is where something in the story changes. No, not a climax. A climax is the end. A pivot scene is where a new piece of information is introduced. A character has a realization. An event occurs that twists what they thought was going to happen. It's an action or an event or an idea that changes where things are going and makes it pivot and makes it turn. And the reader has to adjust themselves. So always pay attention to your pivot scenes and know where they are. A lot of times when I'm working on a manuscript, I will go through and I'll have a highlighter in hot pink because you can't avoid it. And when I come to something I think is a pivot scene, I'll highlight that. 
and then I can flip through the manuscript and see how many pivot scenes I have, where they are, if they're spaced properly for what I'm looking for. And if I have too many, I need to think about that. If I have too few, I need to think about that. I, I have another. Mm -hmm. um, you said that you get worried if you have too many or too few pivot mm -hmm. scenes. Uh, what would you estimate in terms of percentage? Oh, it depends on the story. This is another one of those things that you're it's a very touchy-feely topic. I find for a short story under 5,000 words, I should not have more than two pivot points. If I do, then the reader's going to start getting confused. And they can be small pivot points. I mean, it can be a small little one-line detail that changes everything. For a novel, 100,000-word novel, I tend to have about between four and six major pivot points. But that's how I write. You're going to find your own. And that's another thing about the revision process is that when you start finding how many pivots you average in a story, you're finding something about how you write and your style, and you can either change it if you think it's not working, or you can say, okay, this is good, I need to look for this, and integrate it as you go forward. No revision is about only the project you're revising. Every revision you do, every iteration you do of a story is something you're going to carry forward the next time you write another story. That's why another reason why revisions are so important. It's an exercise. It's a learning moment. But that's why you need to take notes and you need to pay attention to what you're doing long term because you're fixing the problems not just in that story but so you don't make the problems in the next story. You make different ones. The other thing when you're putting stuff down on the page is the dread info dump. This is where information that is absolutely necessary to the story, it's not just that you're throwing it in because it's pretty or because you like the way the words sound, it's actually necessary information. But it kind of lands on the page with a thud. Information should arise out of the situation. The situation should not be there for the information. Every fact that you give, ideally, is brought forward by an action within the story. If you announce that the sky is blue, it should be because a character is looking up at the sky, or they're hoping that it will rain, or they're seeing a cloud coming in. There has to be some reference, some reason for this information to be given. Even if you're doing an, an omniscient narrator who announces the sky was blue on the day that, there needs to be a reason why the sky's color is mentioned in that narration. You know, the sky was blue the, the morning that those two pilots crashed in the cornfield and everything changed in my small town. That's a setting. There's an event that's happening that requires you to look up. The information doesn't have to be heartbreakingly story-stopping important. It could just be part of the setting, but there needs to be a reason it's brought in. If you were going to tell me that Joe was the pilot who crashed and he had four children left behind, you need to bring that information in as a character speaking or as during you know, his, his memorial ceremony, some way to bring it in. Don't just dump it there. Make it forward momentum. Because that's the thing. That's what info dumps do, is they stop everything dead. They stop the momentum of the story. They stop the momentum of the reader. 
And even if it's really fascinating stuff that you need to know, there's going to be a better way to do it. Think about why you need the description. Who is seeing it? Why are they seeing it? What does it bring to the story? Again, we're not, remember what I said before, you don't have to be perfect, but it has to be effective. It has to have heart. It has to have a reason for being in the story. So if you're describing something, there has to be a reason why it's being described, yes? So describe exactly as much as needed. That's how much description you need. Cut down as much as you can in description, unless you are intentionally getting back. Remember what I said before about the personality of the story? Unless you are intentionally doing a very lush, layered, stylistic story, in which case, layer it on with a trowel. And I realize that sounds like I just contradicted myself, but it depends on what you're trying to write. If you are trying to write something that is forward-moving, has a quick pace, is getting to action. Don't slow it down with the description. If you want the reader to sort of slowly wander through your story, be immersed in this world, have this constant sensory overload almost, then you layer more on. So it's it's tricky. And again, as with so much with writing, the answer is it depends on what you're writing. This podcast marks the end of our fourth year of free excerpts from Odyssey Lectures. The Odyssey Writing Workshop's Charitable Trust is a 501c3 nonprofit organization and depends on your support to offer educational resources like these podcasts. If you've enjoyed them, I hope you'll consider visiting our website and making a donation at www. Dot odysseyworkshop.org. Thank you. The text of this recording is copyright 2010 by Laura Ann Gilman. The sound recording is copyright 2011 by Odyssey Writing Workshops Charitable Trust.